We know how important it is to have our bodies examined once in a while to see whether or not are we dead or alive or um, dying or in the process of it. We're quick sometimes. All kinds of things going on. So I want you to take your Bible and turn with me to the book of Romans and chapter 12. The book of Romans and chapter 12. We know that salvation... Going to heaven is a gift. It's totally free. The only thing I have to do is believe that what Christ did on the cross, he did it for me. That he paid for all of my sins. When he pays for all of my sins, he gives me the free gift of everlasting life. Gives me a new birth that separates me from my old man and my old sins. The old man has old sins. We have a new birth. Born of God. And we're his children forever. But God says now in this life, until we go home to be with the Lord, there's things he wants us to do. And so I uh, want you to examine yourself because the Bible tells us that that is one thing we should do. To examine yourselves. To see how are you doing spiritually. It's so easy to judge somebody else, but very difficult to judge ourselves because we, well, we don't, see things as bad as we should, and maybe we don't see things that we've done that were right as well as we should. We know that in eternity, uh, God is the one who, well, he looks at everything through his eyes and determines whether or not the quality of our works, whether it was gold, silver, and precious stones or wood, hay, and stubble. But here in Romans in chapter 12, these two verses I want to share, first of all, is after you're saved. See, there are some people who say you have to present your body to the Lord in service in order to be saved, which is a teaching of Lordship salvation. You must make Christ the Lord and the master of your life. So many people think they have to commit their life to Christ in order to be saved. And I promise that I will stop doing these bad things and I'll start doing these good things and therefore God saves me upon that um, platform that, hey, this is mutual. If I live a certain way, God promises to save me. God does not promise to save anybody according to their works. He says just the opposite. Not of works. Not of works. So here in Romans in chapter 12, this is a verse that tells us after we're saved, we are to present our body to the Lord as a living sacrifice. So we need to look at a few things to see whether or not have I really presented my body to the Lord as a living sacrifice. In other words, he gets the use of my body while I'm here in this world. I am here as his representative. He wants to live his life through us. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, which means in view of what God has done for us. This verse, I believe, goes all the way back to chapter 8. Chapter 9, 10, and 11 is like a parenthetical expression. You can take and remove those because it talks about the past, the present, and the future of the nation of Israel. And you can go from chapter 8 straight into chapter 12, and you'd be surprised how awesome it is. Because chapter 8 begins with there's no condemnation, and it ends with there is no separation. And because there's no separation, once you've trusted Christ as Savior, you are unified with the Lord. There is a union that can never be broken. Now, because of that, 
In view of that, God says, this is what I want you to do. And so he says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. God didn't ask us to die for him. He asked us to live for him. And it's easy to dedicate your life to the Lord that you do not have. And difficult to dedicate the day that you do have. All we have is this moment, now. And if I serve the Lord now, and then when tomorrow comes and I dedicate that, and I live that now for the Lord, then I'll be able to say, I have dedicated my life to the Lord. But not much is going to be accomplished on your promising to dedicate your life to the Lord as much as what will you do with a moment you have. It's easy to give God something you don't have. What we do have is right now. Does God have all of you right now? Now, he makes a statement. Holy, this is how he wants the body. Keep your body holy. Keep it pure. Acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. So whatever God asks us to do, it's reasonable. He didn't ask us to do anything impossible. He says you have the Holy Spirit living within you. you got the Word of God. You're to learn the truth. And He will not allow you to be tempted above that which you're able, but will make a way of escape because God is faithful that you may be able to bear it. So whatever happens in life and all the problems, all those things, we talked about that last week, God will give you the strength and grace you need. And He'll walk you through it. But all you have to do is learn a few things that can help you. And something to examine yourself. Would you say at this moment, right now, your body belongs to God? Can you say that in your mind? My body belongs to God. Therefore, I must use this body for the Lord, to honor the Lord. That's my purpose in life. My body belongs to Him. Look at the next statement. I want you to look, first of all, they're in your notes. Because the point number one is to present your body as a living sacrifice And it's crucial to your spiritual growth. This is the reason some of God's children never grow and mature in the Lord. You can learn things, but never apply them. You can learn verses in the Bible and never apply them. You can hear a thousand sermons and never apply anything. And just go in your merry way as a man who looks in the mirror and sees what he sees, but uh, forgets what it looks like and just goes his way. Doesn't comb his hair, doesn't brush his teeth, don't shave, don't do anything. But you're supposed to look into the perfect law of liberty and see and examine yourself. Because, you see, a spiritual, mature Christian should be able to examine himself to see whether or not, not only are you sound in the faith, but are you sound mind and you believe the right things, going in the right direction, doing the right things, is God able to get honor and glory and praise out of your life? Now, number two there in your notes, to present your minds... To be renewed by the word of God is crucial to discerning God's perfect will. God's children need to understand God has a perfect will for you. It's found in the word of God. And the word of God is the same for all of us. So when I know the will of God for me, then I know the will of God for you. Because you see, there isn't one Bible for Yankee and one for Bob Brooks, and one for you. There's one Bible, and in this one Bible, we find the will of God for all of God's children. That's why I know what God wants you to do with your life. I'm not making it up. It's in the book. So if God wants me to be a soul winner, guess what? I know He wants you to be one too. 
He wants me to read and study the Word. I know He wants you to do it too. If He tells me He wants me to live a godly life, He wants you to do it too. So it's not that I'm trying to get you to live like me. I'm trying to get all of us to live like He wants, to live like Him. Now, in this verse 2, and be not conformed to this world. It is not the will of God for God's children to be like the world. Would you say right now, are you any different than the world? Do you live any differently than what the world does? Do you have higher standards than the world? What do you think about? Is that important or not important? You're not going to make a difference in this world unless you're different. And a man one time said, things that are different are not the same. And if we're not supposed to be like the world, we can't be the same. we got to be different. And now, notice this. Be you transformed by the renewing of your mind. So that means you have got to present your mind to God. And God is going to renew your mind. How is he going to do that? Well, he sent us a text. And that's the word of God. And so as you read and study the Word of God, that's the tool that He uses to renew your mind so that you'll think the way God thinks. See, man's thoughts are not God's thoughts. For His thoughts are higher than ours and His ways are better than ours. They're not the same. So therefore, without knowing the Word of God, you cannot know the will of God. So He says that renewing your mind that you may prove or discover what is that good and acceptable, and what's the next word? Perfect will of God. You can only find the perfect will of God from the perfect word of God. It's not what you want it to be. It's not what other people say it is. It's what does the perfect word of God have to say. And you'll find that as a child of God, you can go to the word of God, and if you read and study it, God will tell you what he wants you to do and what he doesn't want you to do. You have to Present your mind, Lord, my mind belongs to you. The only thing I have to govern the body is the mind. So actions are a byproduct of the way that we think. And if you want to raise the caliber of your life, you have to raise the caliber of your thoughts. Because all actions are born within the mind. So learn how to think the way God wants you to think. Look at number three. To present your will to the Lord, you must learn to yield or surrender. If you don't yield your will to the Lord, you are going to have to fight against the Lord. And if you had to fight against God, I got news for you. You're going to lose. You can't win. Resist the devil, but don't resist God. Now take your Bible and turn there to the book of Romans in chapter 6. Romans in chapter 6, and beginning there in verse 11, the Bible tells us in the first part of chapter 6 that we have been crucified with Christ and buried with Christ and risen with Christ, and therefore I am to consider myself a dead man. I died because I accepted Christ's death as my death of my old man. Now because I have been saved, born again into God's family, look what he says in verse 11. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be what? Dead. See, I didn't make that up. Indeed, unto what? Dead unto sin. In other words, like I've already died, come back from the dead, 
Now I'm supposed to live as though I do not have an old sinful nature. See, my old sinful nature was wicked. It was terrible. It loves sin, lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. I'm guilty. But I died and paid for all of my sins. See, what Christ did, he did it for me, but he put it to my account. It's just like I did it. But I really didn't do it. So now I'm supposed to believe that I should now live unto God. Look what he says. But alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let me ask you this. There's the world and there's God. Everything in this world is going to be lost. Are you dead to the world? You can't be alive unto God until you're dead to the world. And being dead to the world means that I'm not living for just the enjoyments of the world. I'm looking beyond this life. I'm looking for where I'm going to be in eternity. And what God wants me to do is a total different perspective. Look in verse 12. Let not sin, that old sinful nature that we have, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. These bodies we have are subject to death. That means it's mortal. Immortal means it's God and he only hath immortality and he will not die. So for God to come into the world and he had to take on flesh and then he could die for the sins of the world. But no, notice what he says. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither, get this, yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness. This body of ours, you know that body that says, um, present your body as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. It is reasonable for those who God has saved to serve him. We do not serve the Lord to be saved. And if I choose not to serve the Lord, doesn't annul my birth. I'm still saved, still have eternal life, still going to heaven. But I will be a shame and a disgrace to the cause of Christ. Because after all he's done for me, I should allow the love of Christ, which constraineth me, we should serve the Lord because of it. Because we thus judge that if one died for all, then all were dead. And they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him who died for them and rose again. So he says in verse 13, Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourself unto God. That is your will. Will you yield yourself to God? If you do not, you will find yourself resisting the will of God because you resist the word of God. You see, there's an old man that lives inside of you that says, you don't need to go to Sunday school. You don't need to church. You don't need to study the Bible. You don't need to pray. You don't need to be obedient to God. How you doing? And you don't need to give. But you'll find out. If you'll yield to the Lord and not resist God, but yield and do what he wants you to do with your life, you'll be surprised of all the blessings that God has for you. I believe God is a God of surprise. To me, a gift is a surprise. I didn't expect to get it. I never expected to go to heaven. I was hoping I'd go, but I really didn't expect it because I didn't know what it took to get there. But when he gave me the gospel, my father-in-law, and I trusted Christ as my Savior, I knew I had eternal life. That very moment, knew I'd go to heaven whenever I died. Shocked, surprised. I didn't know it was free. 
because nobody had ever told me that before. I didn't know it was a gift. I thought it was something you had to deserve. And God says just the opposite. Look there in your Bible to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians and chapter 6. We won't look at all of the verses that I have down for us today, but we will try to look at certain ones I think might nail the point that I'm trying to make a little bit better. This body that you have, remember who it belongs to. So it's my life. It can be your life, but it may not be your body. What would you rather have? Did you know if God takes the body, where, where are you going to live? You have to move out. Surprise, surprise. Look in verse 19 of chapter 6, 1 Corinthians. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is where? In you. The Holy Spirit of God lives in every one of his children, which you have of God. Now get this. Ye are not your own. You ought to underline that in your Bible. You don't belong to you. Well, it's my life. No, it isn't. My body. No, it isn't. And all those women that want to say, well, it's my body and I can do whatever I want with it. Well, you should have made that decision before you jumped in the bed. Instead of getting pregnant and having a baby and then you want to kill the baby. It's still murder. No, I will not soften it. You're not your own. Look in verse 20. For ye are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your what? In your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Who do you belong to? He bought and paid for you. Now, he gave you eternal life as a gift, but he paid the debt. Didn't he? He paid the debt. Now, look there in your notes, my eye test. Now, we can't go through every part of the body, but we just picked out a couple little things that I thought would be good. My eye test. How are my eyes? How are you seeing things? You see, a lot of God's children have bad eyesight. They, they can't see very good. That's why I want you to take your Bible and turn to the book of Peter. The book of 2 Peter and chapter 1. 2 Peter and chapter 1. Since you have trusted Christ as Savior, you know you have eternal life. You're God's child. You're going to heaven. That's good. But after you trust Christ as Savior, the reason you want to renew your mind is because of all the added benefits it will give to you as a child of God. You can grow toward maturity. So you have to add this and add this and add and add and add. Now look what he says here in verse 5. And beside this, given all diligence, add to your faith. In other words, you trusted Christ. Now add to that. You don't add to salvation, but you've got some things concerning you're a child of God. Now grow strong. And these are some things God wants to develop in your life. And to, as he says here, to virtue, faith, virtue, virtue, knowledge, knowledge, temperance, temperance, patience, and patience, godliness, godliness, brotherly kindness, and brotherly kindness, and charity, love. If these things, that doesn't mean they are, because some people will not yield their body. They will not yield their mind. They will not yield their will. But if you do, you've got something that he promises. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You'll learn things you would have never learned no other way. 
God wants to teach you now things about him because he wants you to live in this life like him. He wants you to be like him. And I don't like it when I see people, especially teenagers and all, they want to be like some Hollywood stars. They want to be like these people in rock bands and metal rock, all that kind of crazy stuff. And a lot of parents let them put all these junk all over the wall. Well, it won't hurt them. It ain't good for them. You want to put a nice picture up on their wall? Put mine up there. <laughs> Tell that boy, you be just like him. I want you to be just like him. Put your picture up there. I want you to be just like your mother. I want your daddy to be your hero. You put your picture up your. This is what you're going to be like. And take them Hollywood stars and all that rock junk out of there and throw them in the trash. But now look what he says in verse 9. But he that lacks these things, these things that you could have added that could have caused you to grow to maturity, he says he's blind. What kind of eyesight do you have? You got good vision or are you blind? You're a child of God. You're going to heaven, but you can't see straight. You can't see what God is saying. You see, when you call about, I, I see means I understand. I understand. When God says, do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, I understand. Understandest thou this? That means I see it. I see it. I got it. And so there's a lot of things people do not see because they are blind. Turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Now, I'm not saying that this is the true meaning of this verse, but I'm going to use it this way because I'm going to throw a little Yankeeology in there so that you'll know the difference. There's nothing wrong with a little Yankeeology once in a while. You say, what's Yankeeology? In my opinion. Don't you have opinions? You have opinions once in a while. Now look what he says here in verse 1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Look in verse 2. Looking unto Jesus. Is that what you're looking after? Can you see him? Can you see him and consider what he went through on the cross, but he didn't quit? Even unto death? And God asks us to yield our bodies a living sacrifice. Well, does he have the use of your eyes? Do you see the things that God wants you to see? Do you always just focus on the negative in life? Or do you ever think about some of the positives in life? Or what God wants you to do? Or you're a whiner? You want some crackers with that? In this verse, when he makes this statement, Wherefore, sin we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Now, we often say that that's the chapter 11 with all those Old Testament saints. And look what they did as examples of faith. And we have all these testimonies. But just to bring it back to a little Yankeeology, I've often had people ask me, can, can people in heaven see what we're doing down here? You say, well, if they saw what was going on down here, they'd be very sad. And they'd cry. And they'd weep. Because they see what we were doing. Well, wait a minute. Does, does God see? If they can't see, then how come God can see us? Doesn't our sin bother Him as much as our loved ones who are in heaven right now? Shouldn't it bother them too? Do you think, does God, oh, maybe He doesn't see us either. That's why whatever we're going to do, we've got to do it at night because then God can't see through the dark. But what if it's got some truth that here we are running our race? And there's a great cloud of witnesses that have already run theirs. Could it be that they're standing in the stands and they're cheering us on? Hang in there. Do it. Of course, you don't hear them. 
But I sometimes wonder if, if my father, the man who led me to Christ and challenged me to serve the Lord, I've often wondered, can he see what those years that he put into my life, that it was worth it? I, I don't know. But when the Bible says when we lead somebody to the Lord, there's joy in the presence of the angels. Not that the angels are rejoicing, but there's somebody in the presence of the angels that could be rejoicing. I just wonder. I wonder if they see. I often think about some of the people that have already gone on. I can't say they're not, because I don't have a scripture that says they do or they don't. But there might be a little truth into this, but uh, I don't mind thinking that way. And no... I don't want them to be ashamed of me. And I know the Lord, but I, I've never seen God's face. But I've seen these people. I've seen their face. I've seen my mama. I've seen her face. I've seen my two sisters. I led them all to the Lord. But they could be in that cloud of witnesses. And if they are, I want them to see that. Mom said, there's, there's my son. That's my son down there. That's my son. I want my son to say, that, that's, that's, my, that's my brother. That's my big brother down there. I want them to be proud of me. But, of course, there's nothing that compares with, I want the Lord to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You better do what you can while you can because you're, we're running out of time. Now, I want you to look at the next statement. A letter B there, 1 Corinthians 2, 9. If God hasn't told us everything, can't you see that God likes surprises? Where he says, I have not seen, ear hath not heard, neither has entered into the heart of men the things which God has prepared for them that love him. God is going to surprise us with all kinds of stuff. We haven't got an idea what it's really going to be like when we get to heaven. Yeah, somebody wrote a song called, I Can Only Imagine. I can only imagine if I can only imagine. I can't even imagine what it would be imagined. 2 Corinthians 5, 7, right there in your notes. Can you see that we walk by faith? And what God says and not what we see. You see, we're supposed to see with the eye of faith. The eye of faith is taking God at his word, believing in the things that we cannot see. When God made the world, he says, the world is the evidence that there is a God behind it. Because, you see, faith is the substance. It's the evidence. The things that we have and we can see is the proof of things that I cannot see. I believe there's a heaven and now I believe there's a hell. And though I've never seen them, but I believe they're as real as this earth is real. Because the same one that made the world said in his word, it's real. And he didn't lie about the world. I don't believe he's lied about his word. I believe it's all true. I can't make anybody else believe it. But in John chapter 4 and verse 35, I want you to look in your Bible at that verse. John chapter 4 and verse 35. Did you know we say this verse... Every Sunday morning, we refer to this verse. You say, I didn't know that. Well, you haven't been listening to what we've been quoting. In John chapter 4, in verse 35, Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. Look. Can you see that? Can you see why we wanted to have a college? Because we got to train some people. Do you know right now, John John could not be doing what he's doing if it wasn't because of college. He would not be doing what he's doing because he's teaching in the college. And we have Jesse somewhere. Oh, he's back in the back. He wouldn't be doing what he's doing. And we got Trent and some of these other companies. They would not do what they can do if it wasn't because we had the Bible college. But somebody has to have a vision. 
got to have a vision. But that vision, because you look on the fields, and he says, pray ye the Lord of the harvest that will send forth labors into the... So we know we've got to produce some labors. Somebody who cares. That's why we want people to come to college. College is just another name. Forget the name. Let's just do the job. It means we've got to teach you the word. You've got to learn the word. And God says, look on the fields. They're white already to harvest. And who was he talking to? His disciples. They finally got it. They finally saw what he was talking about after his resurrection. Look at the next scripture we have rest for us here. Can you see that spiritual eyesight is the result of spiritual understanding? See, your vision, and you say, well, I see, means I understand. When he says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Can you see you have a part in that? Can you see that you also respond? How is your eyesight? You say, I don't see that. I don't see that. I don't see that. What do you see? If you don't see, you should be involved. Who should? You've got another Bible that exempts you? There's only one Bible. And I have looked through this thing and I cannot find one loophole. How can I get out of this responsibility? And so for 55 years, it has burdened me down that this is what I want to do all my life. I've been doing exactly the same thing because I believe it's the truth. Look at the next statement. Ephesians 5.15 says, Can you see that wisdom is being able to see where you walk? Because he says, walk circumspectly. He says, what does it mean to walk circumspectly? Well, like a long-tailed cat on a fence with barking dogs on both sides. It means you are aware of what's going on in your life. And you're watching to make sure that you don't get off the road and go chasing that rabbit and chasing that rabbit and chasing that rabbit. and chasing. You want to serve the Lord and you don't get off. If you have to put blinders on, I am set. Face like a flint. Don't move. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Look at the one down at the bottom. I want you to look at this first. Second Corinthians in chapter 4. 2 Corinthians and chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and you'll notice he's talking about something temporary and something eternal. Uh, look what he says in verse 17. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal way to glory. In other words, this life, which is temporal, just a moment, one little Small slice of time, you may do what God wants you to do, and God says the reward for that is eternal. If that's true, well, what if I gave them another slice of my time and another slice of my time? What if I just give the Lord the whole pie? Look what I'm going to get for eternity for something that was earned in just a moment of time. Is it worth it to serve the Lord? You have to see it, and if you don't see it, you won't do it. It'll be nothing more than a game. I'll do what I want when I want. No discipline. No making yourself do what you should do because you will not examine yourself. How's your eyesight? I believe these things are all important. Now let's go to the ear. Say, boy, we're not going to get much of this body covered, are we? My ear test. How are my ears? Do you know what? I got hearing aids in both of my ears. Now, the reason I have those in here is because I can't hear too good. That's why you get hearing aids. 
And what I like about them, I can take them out. Betty says, Yankee. Yankee. Oh, did you say something? Or, I never heard you say that. Have you ever heard people say, you know, you got selective hearing? It all depends on if you want to hear. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that hath ears to hear. In other words, you want to hear because you want to understand because you want to do whatever it is you hear and should get done. In James chapter 1 verse 22, it talks about that. Be not hearers only, but also doers of the word. Doers of the word. This man shall be blessed in his deeds. Philippians chapter 4 verse 9. The peace of God is to those who do what God's word taught. When you learn what the Word of God says, and you do what the Word of God says, then peace be unto you. Peace be unto you. Peace be unto you. Because, you see, if you don't do what God says to do, there's a lot that you are robbing from yourself. You're stealing from yourself, robbing yourself, hurting yourself, afflicting yourself. Now, is that what you want to do? And you bring some pain and misery to your own life. The next verse, the Bible says... Hearing by the word of God. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. How is your hearing? If hearing comes by the word of God and you don't study the word of God, then you're not going to hear the voice of God, are you? Lord, I want you to lead me. God said, I'm trying to, but you can't hear me. I did this one time in a meeting. I told a guy I wanted him to um, march up and down and listen to me. And whatever I tell you to do, I want you to do it. And I would talk real soft. And I said, just start walking. And then walk over there. And I said, now stop, turn, march, left, right. And I'll do that. And then I told everybody else, start making all the noise you can. Start hollering and yelling and screaming. And I said, now you just keep walking. And they started hollering and yelling and screaming. And I kept talking the same way. After a while, he was out of step. He, could, he, didn't, he didn't know what to do. He couldn't hear my voice because of all the other noise. And sometimes when you're not tuned in to his voice, you hear all the other voices. And there's a lot of things in this world to get your attention so that you don't hear the word of God. When he says, my sheep hear my voice, hear my voice, and they follow me. There is, I hear his voice. But whenever the Lord says that you are not condemned, he that believes in him is not condemned, because he makes the statement, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. And if you will hear what God says, he hath everlasting life. Because he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life. He that heareth my word and believeth. They go together. You have to hear. And when you hear the voice of God that says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, that's what you follow. You followed his voice. And it led you to eternal life. Look what he got you. But he didn't take you home. There's so much more he wants to give you than just going to heaven. And it's things that can last for eternity, but we haven't seen them. All we got to go on is his word. And you know you can't believe that. Or can you? 
That's where faith comes in. Faith comes by hearing. I heard that. I heard that. It means I understand. And you'd be surprised the value that that can be to you. The next one I have here, Hebrews 5, 11, To be tired of hearing is to be tired of doing. And there's people who are tired and weary. And he says, Faint not when thou art rebuked of the Lord, because you're going to be rebuked. And sometimes the rebuking comes through people. And as he makes a statement in Hebrews chapter 5, the tired person who doesn't have the strength to go on, the joy of the Lord is my strength. And a lot of Christians don't have any strength because they don't have any joy. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Because there is joy. Like Christ said, the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Why could he endure the cross? Because of the joy. He knew what it was going to accomplish. Now look at number six. And I think I've got to kind of rush through this. Has your speech been seasoned with salt? You know, you can be right in what you're saying, but not right in the way you say it. Boy, I have had that thrown in my face so many times. Because I may be right in what I'm saying, but the way I say it is uh, it's hard. It's, it's drilling. You know, it's, it's like slapping somebody upside the face. And they say, Yankee, you've got to learn how to be, you know, more kind, seasoned with salt. If you're going to slap them, do it gently. If you're going to hit them in the nose, you're going to... Because you don't want to really hurt them too bad. Well, see, I had to do it three times to get their attention. When I do it this way, boom, wake up. Saves time. I'm not saying that's the way to do it. But yes, we should be careful and because with the tongue, your mind is on parade. If I want to know what you're thinking, just let you talk long enough. You'll tell me. And so you've got to be careful. In James chapter 3, verse 8, to discipline the tongue, you must discipline the mind. Is your tongue telling on you? Whenever you are not thinking right, your tongue will talk about things. Do you talk about the things of God? What's the most important things in your life? Do you talk about the Lord? Talk about what you've learned in God's Word lately. What have you learned in God's Word lately? What has God taught you lately? What experience has God brought? And most people talk about everything but God. Everything but the Word. They're in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Just look what we have here. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. No corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. And that's why, yes, after all these years, and I say it, but I, I know it comes across wrong. It, people think, well, he's just bragging. But I have never sworn a cuss word. I've never smoked a cigarette. I've never had a drink of strong drink. I don't know what it tastes like. I've had people say, well, you know, everybody has to do some of those things. No, you don't. And the reason sometimes I bring it up is because people say, you've got to live a good life. Okay, can you beat what I did? Most people can't. And I'm the guy that's telling you that has nothing to do with going to heaven. Nobody goes to heaven because, well, I never smoked and I never drank and I didn't cuss. And I didn't. Who cares? That doesn't get you any brownie points into heaven. Are you perfect? Well, no, you're not. You're a sinner just like everybody else. And you better be thankful to the Lord that God saves sinners. And I'm glad that I'm in that classification because God can't save you if you're not a sinner. I'm in it. I'm in. I'm, I qualify. God saves sinners. Look at the next statement. In James chapter 3 and verse 5, it talks about the tongue and how it can kindle a fire. How many fires have you been starting lately? Have you been saying things against people? 
kind of cutting people down, low-rating them, trying to destroy their testimony, just to being a mean person. If you've got a problem with somebody, you always go to that person first. Go to the individual and try to see if you can resolve it. And you tell things only to the people that can be a part of the solution to a problem. If they can't be a part of the solution, then uh, they don't perhaps need to know what that problem was. Guard your tongue. Don't sow seeds of discord. Don't try to create trouble. The next statement. Speaking the gospel is a proper use of the tongue. I thought I'd just write that down. I thought that was good. Speaking the gospel is a proper use of the tongue. Because Paul says, I am indebted. I'm not ashamed to preach the gospel to those that are from also. Look at the attitude test. you got time. You can go through these and you can read some of these. But these are very good. Look at letter B. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise. See those next words? You ought to underline those. Think on these things. Why? Because it makes a difference in your attitude based upon what you think about. You think upon all the sour things, the bad things you consider that happens in your life, and you're not going to be a happy camper. But you think about how good God's been to you. Think about the blessings that he has brought to you. And the opportunity to be alive and to be able to serve the Lord. There's a lot of things to be happy for. And it can change your whole attitude. Where you can enjoy life. Letter D. But I fear lest by any means as a serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Did you know that Satan wants to corrupt your minds? And God wants you to have a pure mind. You see, it all depends on which way you're going. If you allow the problems of life to push you up against the Lord, it's a wonderful thing. It pushes you. The pressures. Or it can become a wedge. It can come between you and the Lord and push you away. You're the one that determines which side you get on. On the wrong side, it can destroy you. The right side, it can be a blessing. Learning how to think. And down at the bottom... A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. And see, that usually reflects upon the attitude that you have. Attitude, very, very important. Now, look up here. These are some notes that you ought to go over every once in a while. You know, like um, every other day for a while. Look up here. This hand represents you and me. The wallet represents sin. We have all sinned. So God says... This is the product of what's on the inside of us. You see, this does not make us a sinner. I am a sinner, and this is what I produced. We do all these wrong things because we have a, well, a sinful nature. Bad fruit comes from a bad root, and we are, we are the problem. And God says, the wages of sin is death. That means eternal separation from God in hell. To go to heaven, you have to be perfect, as righteous as God, and none of us are perfect. None of us are righteous. We have all come short of God's perfection. And you can't save yourself. Now, this hand represents Jesus Christ. He's the Lord, God in the flesh. He came into the world because he loves us. He hates our sin because our sin separates us from him. So Jesus Christ, who had no sin, did not have to die. But because he loved us, and this separated us from him, he took the sin and paid for it on the cross came back from the dead and says the only thing we have to do is believe that he did it for us. 
So when I believed he did it for me, God put that payment to my account. And when Bob Brooks believed it, he put that payment to his account. And so everyone who believes it, he puts this payment to their account because there's enough here to pay for all the sin of all the world. From the first man to the last man and all sins in between, he paid for. So wherever I am in here, he's paid for all my sins. They're all paid. I don't care where I am. I don't care where you are. First sin, last sin, all paid. And he came back from the dead. All he wanted us to do, will you believe he did this for you? When you believe he did it for you, he said, I'll give you as a free gift everlasting life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. It means you will not go to hell. That is a guarantee. But have everlasting life guaranteed to go to heaven. That is eternal security. This is secure, heaven, and hell, that's been secured. I can't go there. I have been saved from hell to heaven. Now that's good news. Let's pray, shall we? With heads bowed and eyes closed and no one looking around. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, remember this, God loves you and so do I. I want you to go to heaven. I want you to know you have eternal life. I want you to be certain. So I'm going to ask, if you've never done so, would you trust Christ as your Savior this morning? I'm not asking you to stand up and come forward. I don't want you to sign anything. I just want you to receive something. If Jesus Christ walked in this room right now and offered you the free gift of everlasting life, would you accept it? If he said, I paid for all of your sins, would you believe it? You see, if you believe he paid for your sins and you accept that free gift of eternal life, then you can know that you're saved know that you're going to heaven when you die. If you're watching by internet, the same goes for you, right where you are. The only thing you need to do, the only thing you can do, believe on Christ. I mean, believe that he did what he said he did, pay for your sins. And if you accept that payment, then you've got a payment for your sins. And that's how you can know that you're going to heaven because all of your sins have been paid. None of us deserve it. You're saved by grace. In the auditorium, if you have never trusted Christ as your Savior, would you let me know by an uplifted hand and say, Preacher, I will trust Christ right now as my only hope of going to heaven. If you've never done it before, do it right now. Would you let me know by just, just slipping your hand up very quickly, put it right back down? Name one at all. Name one at all. I don't see any hands, but if you have trusted Christ as your Savior, have you presented your body as a living sacrifice to the Lord? Have you presented your mind to the Lord? Have you presented your will are you submissive to the will of God? Do you really want the will of God for your life? I pray so.